Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Happy Advent. Happy Advent. Hey, we're starting something new here. Merry Christmas then. All right. Really good to be here with you all. It's a real pleasure. And uh, I'm pretty excited about our topic today. And uh, I'm going to get going here. So we are talking about Advent, which means an arrival or something happening that is uniquely gifted for that particular period of time. It's something significant. Better get my glasses on here so I can see where I'm going. But in our Advent season, we're talking about our Advent of Christ coming into our world, the birth of Christ. We've been talking about that a lot, but there's also a second advent, and so that's a long ways away, and that's when Christ comes back, the triumphant king. Revelations 19, read that today, and that'll put some fire in your belly. He's coming back. But in between the first advent there and the advent out there, there are also, I almost call them mini advents, but they are significant happenings that happen between the two. And they're really amazing. We need to understand these things really well. So, uh, last two weeks ago, Vince talked about Christ our hope. And he said, the appearance of Jesus brings hope out of Titus chapter 2. The return of Jesus brings hope. And this hope changes us. We're talking about changed life today in here. How can Jesus not come into our life and not make a revolution inside of what's going on in here. It cannot happen. Thankfully, it doesn't, because we all need to change. Me especially. Last week, Eric talked out of 1 John 4. He asked the question, what does the incarnation have to do with love? The answer, the incarnation of Jesus, proves God's love for us, which compels our love for others. And then today, we're talking about Christ our joy. Joy, not a happiness of circumstance, but of right relationship with Jesus. Happiness, someone hands you the keys to a brand new car of your choice, you're probably, oh, wow, this is a good day. But we're talking about joy that Christ generates in us, irregardless of circumstances. So, traditionally... We have those two advents, but I want to kind of introduce these three I'm going to talk to you today about. First of all, the beginning of Jesus Christ indwelling believers through the Holy Spirit. Never before had it happened until Jesus came into our earth. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us. Jesus resides in us through the Holy Spirit. Never before has that happened. It actually was came when Christ came, actualized in Acts chapter 2. We're going to take a look at that. Secondly, 
the advent or the arrival of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. That is a big thing that's happening here. And we'll talk more about that in Easter, obviously, but that came. He came to die. And then thirdly, the arrival of joy in Jesus, even in the midst of suffering. Can we pray? Lord, oh wow, where would we be without you? We desperately need you. Thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for coming in in the most inauspicious, humble way. A little baby, and you grew, and you were magnificent in your life, in your teachings, in your works, in your going to the cross. You're ascending up into heaven, and you will come back another day, Lord, and you're going to make all things right. And we're here celebrating all this. It brings us great joy. So, Lord, I just pray for wisdom and grace today. Pray that your name would be honored and glorified. And Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would do a dramatic change in the sight of us. Because I need it, and I think everybody else needs it too. So we ask all this in your name. Amen. Okay. First one, the joy of Christ's abiding presence in our lives right now. And uh, we're going to look at John 15, 4. Very familiar passage. But it's the passage about, you know, Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. And so there's the illustration of the vine, and then there has to be a branch attached to the vine, otherwise the branch cannot grow. And so that is the illustration. And the truth is, Christ is going to take up residence inside of us. Let's take a look at this, starting in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. This is Jesus speaking. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides, by the way, the highlighted parts are just kind of benefits, good things that happen because of Christ, these things are ours. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, notice the reason for this, that my joy, the joy of Christ, will be in you, and that your joy, this is talking about us, the joy in us will be made full. So, as believers, Jesus Christ dwells inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So the word abide means to remain or to stay, to dwell. Abide means coming to saving faith. You can't abide in Christ without saving faith in Christ, continuing, persevering, growing throughout your life. The branch has to stay attached. If it's broken off, it's history. So, Today, we are part, of, part of the abiding is happening here today, and also loving obedience to Him. So I'd like to describe this abiding as Christ taking up residence inside of you. He has moved in with you, so to speak. He is inside of us. 
through the agency of the Holy Spirit. I don't understand all that stuff, but he said it is true. So at the point of salvation, Jesus moves in with us through the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual work that produces forgiveness of sin, thankfully for that. There's fruit, new life in Christ. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have Christ-likeness. It has brought the privilege of prayer to God. We can talk to God and He actually hears us. A lot of people talk to God in our world and their various gods, but no one hears them. God hears you and He hears me. He gives us a brand new ability to glorify God. We can actually glorify God. Puts us on the road to discipleship, being able to receive the love of God the Father and Jesus and the ability to obey His commandments. That's what grace gives us. In another word, we have started the process of our present life becoming more like Jesus. And lastly, the joy of Christ will be in us. So I'm going to do a little illustration here that I think will help. helps me. So I want to compare marriage with our relationship with Christ. Marriage, relationship with Christ. And a number of you are married. Some of you wish you were married. And so this, I think you'll be able to connect with this. So when you get married, a new person comes into your life. So in 1979 in Fayetteville, Arkansas, I was in University Baptist Church up in front waiting, and Karen Odding is coming down the aisle. Holy cow! She had this wedding dress on, and, and I, you know, I was just hyperventilating, hoping I wouldn't pass out. And she comes there, she comes into my life at the presence of... And so our, our abiding presence with Christ, there's a time when Christ comes into our life. Your spouse changes the way you live. I didn't know, but I married a fashion consultant. <laughs> and so often on Sunday morning, I'm getting dressed and I'm going to church and I hear, you're not going to wear that, are you? I said, no, no, heavens, no. I, I wouldn't wear this. I'm just going to put it, I'm going to do my yard work in this. My whole level of hygiene went up because she was there. And when Christ comes into your life, he transforms you. That word is metamorphosis. So I also learned in marriage, it's no longer my time, but it's our time. In fact, we still, we share calendars. We talk a lot about what's going on. It doesn't go well if I'm going this way and thinking she's going and she's going that way. We've had some words over the years. But Christ transforms how you spend your time. Your time is not your own anymore. No longer is it my money, but it's our money. Oh, that was a huge adjustment. We put our both bank accounts into one. And so we had a number of arguments. You spent money on that? You got a new dress? And then she says, you bought a chainsaw with that? And so we had to really kind of reconcile a lot of these things. So Christ transforms how you spend your money. Also, when I, as marriage went along, I got to see how selfish I am. It wasn't pretty. Selfish in my life and my marriage. When kids came along, we had a toddler, our first daughter. She was like the CEO of the family. She bossed me around. I'm chasing her. I'm adjusting my whole schedule to her. Don't jump off that dude off the table. Don't stick the fork in the in the outlet, and all these kind of things. My life was wrapped up in the CEO. Christ comes and transforms your selfishness 
into selflessness. Are you experiencing that? Also in marriage, I began to see pride in my life and my marriage. When we'd argue, we would always try to establish, as we worked it through, who was wrong and who was right. I hated to be wrong. I was so prideful and stubborn. It was hard for me to say I'm sorry. It was hard for me to say, will you forgive me for being such a jerk? That was not natural. But Christ transforms my pride into humility. As Tim Keller said, it's not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. The result in the marriage is there's growing joy in my marriage. She is my best friend, the best roommate I've ever had in my life. Totally awesome. Not that we don't have problems and all that kind of stuff, but when this, she came into my life, my life is amazingly enriched because of her. I don't know if she'd say that about me, but I hope so. When Christ comes into your life, does he not just transform and bring joy in there? All your life, all these things are getting righted. The bad things, the sin are getting, you're moving away from that. You're starting to practice spiritual things. It brings about good stuff. And I would say this, as your life with Christ goes, so goes your marriage. So the indwelling presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit brings about joy. Secondly, the joy of Christ's finished work on the cross, Hebrews 12. This is a mind blower. Therefore, and we just read it, we've, and then I think Vince read it. We've read this verse a lot, actually. <laughs> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As you know, as Jesus was approaching the cross, that night in that early morning on Thursday, he was in the Mount of Olives with his disciples. He gets Peter, James, and John, hey, come over and pray with me, would you please? And so over there, he prayed three times, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Tim Keller says this, when Jesus himself speaks of the cup, it shows that he is facing not just physical torture and death. He is about to experience the full divine wrath of the evil sin of all humanity, including every one of us. The judicial wrath of God is about to come down upon him rather than upon us. I, I, I have a hard time just wrapping this around my brain. Another commentary said, Jesus went to the cross because the joy it would bring. He looked right through the cross to the coming joy, the joy of bringing salvation to those he loves. Wow. And that's why you read in the garden, boy, he, there was an emotional burden. He sweat 
drops of blood. It was so hard. But he did that because he loves us. He looked through that and saw that. Let me summarize a couple things. It started with the promise of abiding presence of Christ indwelling us through the Holy Spirit to the actualization of it, that the finished work of the cross. Jesus experienced joy even though going through suffering. And so now we're going to look at how our great salvation, which Christ purchased and produced for us in Christ, how that helps us to have joy, helps us to have joy while we go through suffering. So 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, the joy of Christ in our present suffering. First of all, you know, everyone in this world will suffer, Christian or non-Christian. No one, absolutely no one goes through this world without suffering some sort of pain and hardship. Some suffer more. We have our, our friend Ezra in the hospital, his latest postman. He is suffering a lot physically. And so some people suffer not so much, and they kind of go through life and have kind of a painless death. And so it, but we all suffer. No one does not go through this world untainted by suffering. But hardships shape and mold us into the image of God. In God's economy, our pain is not wasted. It purifies our faith. 1 Peter. In this you rejoice. Well, in what does he rejoice? He rejoices because God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's like a past, present, and future uh, truths in this verse. So in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So in this passage here, it's a, it's a praise for God's salvation for us, all this work that he has done for us. So Peter, writing back on this and looking back on this, is summarizing all this in the, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he puts down amazing truth in here. This is our new identity in Christ. By the way, this is a parenthesis. I am really impressed with Peter. Man, he was kind of a bozo in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you know, he's always sticking his hand in his mouth, you know, and he did all these weird stuff. And, you know, I'm sure Jesus said, this is, this is certainly a diamond in the rough. And look how he did, he wrote stuff like this. Anyhow, back to here. One by one, uh, a Tom Constable, a, a, 
wrote this about this, this passage. Trials do to faith what fire does to gold. They purify it and reveal its true value and genuineness that it, what it really is. God purifies our faith with trials by helping us realize the inadequacy of anything other than trust in Him in these situations. I want to read a quote here from John Piper. He always is disturbing my life. So I thought I'd share the joy of that. This is just out of a preface. It's not even in the book yet. So, um, the path of God-exalting joy will cost you your life. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. In other words, it's better to lose your life than to waste it. If you live gladly to make others glad in God, your life will be hard, your risks will be high, and your joy will be full. This is not a book about how to avoid a wounded life, talking about this, but how to avoid a wasted life. Some of you will die in the service of Christ. That will not be a tragedy. Treasuring life above Christ, now that's a tragedy. Highly recommend it. Don't waste your life. It will disturb you, though, when you read it. So you're probably going to think I'm weird at this point. So I'm very, I'm, I can accept that. I'm actually thinking and planning out my funeral. Scriptures I want to share, I'm writing those down, collecting them, like 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Philippians 1, looking at, oh, John 11, the raising of Lazarus. That's where Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm also trying to collect hymns and songs. There's some amazing hymns in Christ alone. And I think it's Casting Crown that has a song called Scars. So I'm gathering all this stuff. I'm thinking pretty soon about writing my obituary because I want to say the things I think they need to hear. It might be 18 pages long, but I think that's I should do that. So, uh, told you you'd think I'm weird. So, uh, grieving at my funeral, yes, but also joy, knowing as I close my eyes in this world here, I open them up in the next world. Don't feel sorry for me. Friends, there's a huge difference between the funeral of a Christian and the funeral of a non-Christian. Let me just highlight a few of those. The Christian funeral has love and joy and hope, assurance of salvation. The non-Christian funeral will have love for a person, no joy, no hope, no confidence in life or in heaven. The Christian funeral will have celebration of Christ and a saint's fulfilled salvation. Salvation will be complete. He's in heaven. He is in heaven. For the non-Christian, there's no celebration of Christ, but you do try to honor the deceased. In the Christian funeral, the saint is preserved in Christ. Joy is fully realized. For the non-Christian, the deceased is in the grave, awaiting hell. 
No possibility for joy. It is gone forever. To be honest with you, just mentioning the word, the word hell is kind of uncomfortable for me. But it is the teaching of Scripture, therefore I believe it. So, but I also believe in hell because I see it in our world, in the history of mankind. And as you watch the news and, and you're in this world, we see stuff going on in our planet that is just, how could this happen? It's happening right here. Friends, I want to ask you, what kind of funeral are you going to have? What would you like it to be like? If you were to die today, right now, would you go to heaven? And if so, why do you think they would let you into heaven? It is eternally important to have clarity on your eternal destination. If there's something you don't want to be confused about, is your eternal destination. So, I'm asking if you guys, if anyone is not sure about that, would you come up afterwards? There'll be elders here. We can talk to you, we can talk to you about that. And it might even be worth a long, longer conversation. Please do it. Please do it. Can we pray, please? Heavenly Father, I ask that you do a deep work of the Holy Spirit in us here at the town a significant, life-changing work of the Holy Spirit that would magnify and glorify Jesus Christ in our midst in such a way that His preeminent influence in us would, would be such as to make all the things we struggle with, the things we disagree with, the hurts, habits, hang-ups, the harmful behavior, these things would pale in significance to the surpassing value of Christ Jesus our Lord. That we would be humbled that we would become gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that we would walk in a manner that would be pleasing to you. To glorify God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Maranatha, our Lord come. Amen.